Okay. All right, y'all. So there's like a handful of books that I wish every single human read. Like I wish it was like required reading for like once you become an adult or when you're in college or whatever. Um, and Carla's book is one of them. This particular one. Not any of the other ones, just that one. Maybe the other one, but this is the one that has my heart because this is the one that I feel like is the foundation from, a, I don't know if this was your first book actually, is it? No, no, that was my first book when I came back to my career. So that was the beginning of my new career. Yeah. Okay. Tell everybody that story. <laughs> That's a long story. <laughs> Um, I had grown up in the yoga slash new age Mm -hmm. vegetarian culture. um, And the way that I could understand the world and read people and that sort of thing was identified at that time as a psychic skill that I was an empath. Mm -hmm. And so I went along with that for a while until I finally realized there's something very wrong here. There's something very wrong here. And (laughs) this whole concept that empathy is a, is a, you know, um, is a magical skill or that an empathic person is a magical person. I became very, very, very troubled by it and kind of had a, a moment thinking, what in the world have I done here? What have I done? And I had, I don't know, four or five books and all kinds of, I mean, I had this huge career going and I, over a period of about a year I studied and I finally just shut down everything. I pulled all my books out of print. I shut down my website. I went into a period of um, what happened to me and I went back to school. And then about six years later, uh, Tammy Simon, it sounds true. I was going to write about my transition away from those beliefs. And I, I wrote about it and I was I was like, you know, Tammy, I need to send this to you because I call out my old work and I just need to make sure we're ethically okay. And she's like, she read the book. She's like, oh, that's, that's okay. But we want you to rewrite your book, Emotional Genius and knowing what you know now. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So that Emotional Genius became the language of emotions. Mm. And, um, and I, there are second acts in American lives. There you go. Well, I said, you know, before we press record, you said, how are you? And I'm like, very emotional Um, because people who listen in our community know that like how much of what you just shared resonates like so deeply with what I've been like publicly wrestling with is like, and just there's some like shame layers around how many years I spent reading those books and in those circles and speaking that language and honey, I wrote those books. (laughs) Let's go talk shame. (laughs) How much harm and yeah, you know, and it's come up multiple times this week because Tara Brock just wrote a piece about sexism in spirituality. Oh yeah. And put in print, uh, Yogi Bhajan and Kundalini and she's now very publicly joining the crew of people who are publicly naming some of these systems of harm. And Mm -hmm. I just had a private conversation with someone. I teach stress management at American university Mm -hmm. and I have a book list that I have them choose a book they want to read. Of course your book is on it. And, (laughs) um, and someone had texted me a title that they love and said, I want you to add this book. You should add this book. 
And I debated adding that book, but I know too much about the lineage of harm and abuse that that book comes from. And so I actively said, I'm not. And the person said, but that book changed my life. And I was like, I know. And it's from harm. Like, this is what we're sitting with is like, it's amazing time when we're wrestling with the teacher, the teachings and think like something that 20 years in yoga helped so many of the emotional layers be able to breathe so that I could be this strong warrior woman now in the world doing this work. So it's like, I'm, that feels like a lot. Do you have anything to say about that? (laughs) Something that I looked at with my experience within the new age yoga, um, alternative medicine, alternative eating world, Mm -hmm. um, was that I've learned to to identify it as a conflict culture. By that, I mean, in much of it, it was, um, we're going to yoga because the Western world doesn't know anything. We're going to homeopathy and Chinese medicine because the Western world Mm. will kill you with their pills or whatever. And we're going to vegetarianism because the regular diet, right? So it wasn't, I'm drawn toward, you know, a vegan diet or whatever, because of my body says, I don't like meat or something. Some, do you know what I'm saying? It's, yes. Yeah. It, it's a conflictual, yes. it's mm. a shadow behavior. Mm. And so there's a saying how often the liberator takes on the cloak of the oppressor mm. that if I'm against mm. something, and I don't do my emotional work of hatred and rage and all that kind of stuff. What mm-hmm. I'm going to create will be just as bad, if not worse than the thing that I am against. The problem comes when a part of your um, uh, philosophy is to kick the shit out of the other thing, mm-hmm. right? So if I say, you know, Western medicine, they're going to kill you and they're going to take your money and they're going to pull your liver out with a fork and laugh and dance. And you have to be over here in this form of medicine, which isn't working for you and just keep working harder and harder and harder and harder. And so what happened, what I saw happen to me and a number of other people was there was a lot of a blame the victim. Mm -hmm. So if I wasn't being healed Mm -hmm. by my extreme dieting behaviors and my, you know, focus on the you know, doing everything absolutely right and being right in every part of my soul. And I was still having pain or I was still having whatever. I couldn't go into Western or, or conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't, I couldn't cross that, that chasm because part of the culture that I grew up in was to be against the conventional, against the West, against this other thing. And, you know, as we know, conventional medicine is like, come on, but so is alternative medicine. And the problem with alternative medicine is there are no checks and balances. There is no AMA. Mm -hmm. There is no, Mm -hmm. there's nothing. So if you're injured in alternative medicine or any of these alternative approaches, Mm -hmm. there's nothing for you. There's no protection for you. Mm -hmm. So when I see conflict cultures now, it, however, they, they, like the skeptical culture is a conflict culture, right? It's very clear. They're just like, right, it's got a sign on their head and it's flashing. We are in conflict with you. But they end up creating as much trouble as they are healing because they don't understand the emotional components of what they're doing. So, so yeah. 
I listen to some of the conspirituality podcasts. Oh, isn't that good? And I love them, but I get, I have a lot of feelings after like it stirs up a bunch of stuff in me and I have to check myself because I can easily get stirred into. And then it's exactly what you're saying. Like I'm learning. I'm just, I love the analysis. Like it's especially with some of the, some of the podcasts that have come out from them. There's just not a lot of places I get that kind of in-depth. Who's was doing thing. that. Right. So yeah. it's fascinating. The learning side of me is like, yes, but then the emotional side of me finds myself getting caught up and I have to really. Yeah. Ooh. And that's part of the skeptical culture is <laughs> that's not, what I'm saying. like not to lean into why people are there. Yeah. Why, and they're like, well, they're being manipulated and they're yeah. sort of fools. And that, you know, like, like mm-hmm. these people are all bad. Everybody's a charlatan, everybody. Right. And I was like, that wasn't why I was there. And that wasn't what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So you missed mm-hmm. a crucial aspect mm-hmm. of the humanity of what's going on there, y'all. But, mm-hmm. but again, where else are you going to get that information? Yeah. You can't hear it within the alternative medicine, yoga, you know, whatever, you are not going to hear it. And so much abuse goes on in those places because people are silenced and kept away from anything like conventional that could have any, they're kept away from legal systems. They're kept away from, from ethical and moral systems that could support them when they're kind of going, I've been doing this diet for 15, you know, weeks and my hair is falling out, you know, or something like that. There's, there's no, and people will say, well, it's a healing crisis. And, and a regular doctor might say, um, I think you're starting to die. You need some animal protein or something. You need yeah, some just eat, eat a sandwich, sandwich. friend. You need some food. <laughs> oh, it's so interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, and then this whole thing. So I actually think I heard about your work from, I'm in, um, like a Jewish spiritual uh, community. Mm-hmm. And Taya Ma is one of our teachers and she refers to your work all the time. And I was like, well, I need to finally get this book. So I get this book and I start reading it and I'm just like, what? Because after my yoga journey, I got, uh, and still am very much a lifestyle Ayurvedic person. And I see mm-hmm. everything through the elements and through healing through the elements. Now I, yeah. I use a lot of English, not Sanskrit. And I'm like, it's elemental healing. And we have it in Judaism and, you know, we have it. And I like look for other places. And then I open your book and you talk about the emotions in terms of the elements <laughs> in like English, non-New Agey, not bypassy, you know, um, real, like, I love that. Tell me how you came to that. Tell me a little bit about like how you see the emotions and elements and well my mom was a an astrologer so we grew up with that four element system yeah. right of the mm-hmm. earth air water and fire mm-hmm. and then she became interested in chinese medicine which has a fifth element mm-hmm. which is a uh, wood mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean like a piece of wood but rather the things that grow out right Mm -hmm. and so opening into that five element idea was really important to me um to see what happens when you bring all the four elements of earth air water and fire together Mm -hmm. i also grew up like watching you know we would say so that person's really airy or that person's very Mm -hmm. earthy so Mm -hmm. 
so having that as a, as a, as a kind of a, a hum in the background at all times. Mm. And then when I met my husband, Tino, we also were um, exposed to the Dagra cosmology and the Dagra um, Maladoma Somme and Sobanfu Somme. Maladoma died this morning. Mm. And so we are in a grief ritual at this point. But in the Dagra cosmology, the four elements come together to create a fifth element at the center, which is nature. Mm. And their elements are earth, water, fire, and what is the other one? Now I'm not remembering, but um, mineral. Mineral mm. is their air element. So mm. mineral, the bones are what carries the, the wisdom. So it's mm. a non-writing culture. So it's, you know, it's not going to be air up in the, you know, the way that we are with our writing and that kind of thing. Um, and understanding that when the four come together, earth, air, water, and fire, something new comes out of the middle. Mm. But most people never see it because they spend most of their time just being airy or just being earthy or just in the spiritual world I grew up in, it was fire over everything. Mm-hmm. It was spirit over everything. Mm-hmm. Emotions were thought of as like just trash garbage. Uh-huh. When I went to the skeptical world, it was air over everything, intellect <laughs> over everything. Spirit didn't exist, it was trash, yeah. but emotions were super <laughs> trash garbage, right? And I just noticed that in these elemental places or people who are totally physical, like uh, I had a friend who was a climber and he had the whole climbing thing. They hated emotions too. And I was like, you know what? Emotions are hated pretty much everywhere. <laughs> like, I think we can all agree that um, you know, whatever weird one element system we have, we hate the emotions. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, we all hate that. So we can, we can gather together about our hatred of emotions. And if you know about the shadow, mm-hmm. um, the shadow is where all the power is. Mm-hmm. So that really drew me into the emotions, um, among other things. But I was like, I'm going to go where everybody hates. I'm going to go to the trash garbage. And I'm going to find what it is people are hiding from themselves and each other. (laughs) That's my stubborn nature. (laughs) And you found, so as you were like leaving and building this new, what's that quote, burn down the barn, now I can see the moon. Like (laughs) that's what you did. You know, like I burned down the bar so I can see them or the stars or whatever. Yeah. Um, is how did you start to connect the dots to this? Like, oh, I want to go to emotions. Oh, I want to go to shadow and sort of like, what's that wave like? Well, I was very fortunate among the other things. My mom was a yoga teacher and then we <laughs> became vegetarians because that was so cool. Um, but we also read things like Robert Johnson who uh, does a lot of work with the shadow. Mm -hmm. I think I read he and she when I was maybe 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. Um, I was reading Dante. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was just reading a lot of really intense stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Kurt Vonnegut. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the reason I was drawn to that was because I felt emotions so intensely. What, do you know what Enneagram type you are? I don't like the Enneagram. They hate emotions. They can well, there's one that is very emotional and dark and grieving. And like, that's what they love. That's what I am a four where I'm just like, it's like grief, 
intensity, sadness, like it's the one that holds all the emotion. So uh, I, I, don't like <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, you know, a, a part of my story was that I was molested for a number of years when I was very, very young. So mm-hmm. I developed a kind of a, I call myself, I, I grew like a tree in the wrong forest. Mm. Um, so I just kind of grew with whatever nutrients were there and they were pretty terrible. But what happened for me and what happens with a lot of people who are uh, abused is my emotions went on, you know, full, mm-hmm. full intensity, especially my rage. And I was a very rageful little child. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness my parents, I mean, not that they could have stopped me, but they made a place for me to be a raging female, mm-hmm. which is bizarre. But for me, going into the emotions was so important. I mean, I saw how much people hated emotions. I saw how much people, and I knew that I was a deeply emotional person. So I hid a lot of it to the extent that I could, because I knew I was one of the shunned ones. I was one of the unwanted ones. Mm -hmm. And so my interest in emotions was more to kind of save my life because Mm -hmm. my emotions were so intense and so, um, like they were, you know, they were on 11 all the time. And so for me, kind of diving into the emotional realm was a way to save my own life. Mm -hmm. But also once I got to see what my emotions were doing at that intensity, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like they came to heal me. They were there specifically to heal me, especially that rage. Because one of the things that childhood assault does, especially sexual assault, is is it strips you of boundaries. Mm -hmm. That's one of the ways that, child molesters work, mm-hmm. right? They, they have to strip the person of their boundaries in order to get that going, <laughs> get that disgusting thing going, right? Um, so anger is about boundaries. And if you know how to work with your anger, you can set boundaries in very loving and relational ways. Mm-hmm. But my boundaries were blown apart. So my anger needed to be rage. Mm-hmm. And rage was the way I set boundaries as a little, you know, I was like, um, I was an open wound is what I was and everything could get to me. And so I was like the toughest little yeah. pissed off child you ever saw. Yeah. Um, and that intensity of emotion, you know, my, my parents did what they could with it, but I was like a tornado. I was like a Tasmanian devil. Do you remember that from the cartoons? Of course, yeah. Yeah, I was the Tasmanian devil. Did they diagnose you with anything at that time? Because ADD, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They probably would have diagnosed me with oppositional defiant disorder. Mm -hmm. I would have gotten a lot of diagnoses Mm -hmm. if that had even been a thing at the time. Mm -hmm. But at the time, they were using a lot of Ritalin to pretty much zonk kids Mm -hmm. out. you know, you can use Ritalin in a better way. So the child yeah. is not zonked out, but this was the sixties and the, the hyperactive kids on Ritalin were just like, ah. you know, their tongue was sticking out the side, the little X's on their eyes. Ah. Yeah. And my mom looked at that and she went, no. Yeah. <laughs> if you have this much energy, you must need this much energy. So let's figure out how we work with that. Mm-hmm. Probably would have been better if, if there was any responsible Ritalin, you know, diagnosing going on at that time, it probably would have helped me not be on fire all the time. Mm -hmm. But 
I like her movement into kind of a neurodiversity framework that this is what your brain and your organism are doing. So let's, let's do that. Mm-hmm. It, I, I, I don't fault her for that. It wasn't as if there was better options. Yeah. yeah. Right. So as you're progressing along, like, what do you, what kind of learning or was there any, I don't know, like anything along the way that really felt powerful and potent in terms of then creating this new body of work and sort of where you are now? Certainly shadow work was Mm -hmm. crucial, understanding ritual and Mm -hmm. working with animals. Animals Mm -hmm. are, oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't so much in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think I was human because I was like, yeah. what? Um, another thing was that I could see emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. you know, it, it, it could be a form of um, what is it when your brain has a crossover and you, you see sounds or you numbers have colors? What is it there? I know what you're talking about. I you don't know, know the one I'm talking about. We'll remember it later. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I would see emotions. Like I could see yeah, emotions yeah. around people. Yeah. And one of the things that I always saw all the emotions mm-hmm. and people would say, well, that man's angry. And I would look at that man. I go, what about the sadness and grief and jealousy? Yeah, and right. Like, what about all that? But people would say that's an angry man. Right, right. And it was almost as if I had to have a pinhole camera mm-hmm. to look at the sun, you know, so you don't hurt yourself, but it was almost as if I needed to have a pinhole camera Mm -hmm. to look at humans in the way that humans talked about emotions. That's why I didn't think I was probably a human. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I'm human here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I don't see what humans see. Yeah. What do you feel like you say all, what do you want people to know? Like, no, like, what is the thing you say all the time or the handful of things you say to people all the time that you're like, this should be basic knowledge about emotional intelligence so much there are two things i say one is emotions are not the problem they come to solve the problem Mm. right they're never the problem they Mm. can look like the problem though Mm -hmm. Um, the other is that the way that we've learned about emotions is that even even today they're still seen as the trash garbage of the soul right they're just seen as the let's not be emotional. And you know what that means? Basically, let's, let's do some bypass into probably intellect or spirituality or something. But um, what we understand now is emotions underlie every possible aspect of cognition and behavior, mm-hmm. that emotions underlie your thoughts, your actions, your ideas, your dreams, your behaviors, Your emotions underlie why you get into relationships that you do, why you choose the jobs you choose, why you buy the couch you bought. Your emotions are there for every single aspect of your life. And if you don't understand them, you will not understand yourself. You don't even know why you do things, (laughs) right? You won't know why you do things. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, know your emotions, know yourself. Um, That part in the but in the book where you talk about like us as children watching adults lie, <laughs> right? And so like we're in a society, like that's become the norm and that, that it's almost like um, cognitive dissonance, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, we've got to figure out a way to reconcile this constant lying that we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to 
an actor and he pointed out to me that acting emotion is hiding emotion. Because if you were going to be like, I'm sad, hmm, or I'm angry, Rawr, you would be a hack actor. You would be a crappy actor. You would be just like somebody you see on, you know, week one of acting school. He said, because the way that we do emotions is that we, we sublimate them, we hide them. We very rarely are openly emotional, feeling the emotion we feel and displaying it as the emotion that it is, yeah. right? That's why I created, a, I have a, an emotional vocabulary list because emotion mm -hmm. vocabulary <laughs> is so crucial mm -hmm. to your functioning. And mm -hmm. I also have something called a weasel word list because mm -hmm. so many people refuse mm -hmm. to say words for emotions. And one of the, a, a big weasel word is fine. I was just going to say, I'm fine. fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm like, okay, fine. All the time, everywhere I go. And now that I know that and I hear it and I've studied your work and I'm so present to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's everywhere. And then it's creating a lot of awkwardness, which I would like to talk to you now about. <laughs> <laughs> so then what do we do with that? When they're clearly fine, they're not asking me to be their practitioner, let's say in that moment, yeah. right? It's not that kind of role. Yeah. But now I'm feeling so much like sadness and grief around all the fineness in the world <laughs> because I'm, I am the emotion, like I express emotions for like our whole community sort of like all the time as a specific way of being. I hope it, they're paying you for that. Oh my I God. hope you're getting cash money for that. I do. I do. This is my, this is my work. It's, it's oh, so good. And all I hear is I'm fine. And yeah. so what do you do with that? Well, I think empathically speaking, what people are saying when they're like, no, I'm fine. One is, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want yeah. to deal with it. I don't feel safe. I'm like, yeah. well, cool. Um, so if someone said fine with that kind of finality, yeah. I'd be like, okay. And yeah. I wouldn't push at all, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. but if people are saying like, I don't know, I'm upset, right? That's a weasel word. What is upset? Yeah. Or, yeah. I'm yeah. stressed. Stressed is a huge weasel word. Um, stress is usually anger and panic. Come on, let's call it what it is. Um, and so when people say that, there's an opening because at least there's an awareness that there is something going yeah. on. With yeah. fine and whatever, yeah, there's no, yeah, they might know inside themselves that they do not want to get into it. So yeah, empath. Don't get into it. Yeah. Right. right. But it's, not, it's really so crucial for your own emotional health and well being yeah. to have a strong internal monologue. Yeah. They said they're fine. I mean, I say this, they say they're fine, but it looks like they're feeling this, this, and this. So my emotional system doesn't get deadened in the presence of their deadened emotional mm -hmm. system, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is another part of boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. You get to be fine over there. <laughs> Bullshit. And I get to be emotionally awake over here, even though it's painful. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. So helpful. Cause I've just been experiencing a lot of like titrating mentally. Like, do I say something? Do I not say something? Yeah. There, I'm reading something different. They're lying. Okay. This reminds me of that book. Okay. What do I do? <laughs> you know, kind of like, and then we're just standing there awkwardly because I'm having a full on like conversation and they're fine. <laughs> I'm fine. 
But I notice if you if you respect the fine, yeah. A lot of times, if the if the relationship's going, they'll know that you are a person who respects what they say, and they might want to come and say to you, "Actually, I was feeling stressed," and you know that's a weasel word. Um, It could mean anything. Yeah. And like about what, you know, and then start the conversation. So helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that with kind of the like, what's mine, what's not mine, and. Um, just respecting the fine. If that's, uh, if that's all they got. Yeah, absolutely. That's all they got. At least they said a word, you know, they had syllables. Okay. So I, um, stop, I have a 10 year old son and this is the kid's emotion chart. My emotions, your emotions help you think, plan, dream, and act. How do they show up for you every day? And this is available on your website with a million other incredible resources that I've shared all year with my community, but people beyond who listen, like go get this, but I follow him around the kitchen with it. And he's like, mom, nope, not nope. talking. Nope. Mom, I'm fine. Just get away from me. He's like, oh, geez, you're doing this again. I'm like, it's just going to sit there, bud, until we just, let's just look at the pink today. Let's just look at the blue, you know? So it's very funny. We're the point is we're actually having a lot of fun with it. I'm not like jamming hit it down his throat, but it's always on the table in the morning when he comes down. And so he, he, the, the game I played with him, which I really appreciate the color coding and having it set up is I'll be like, Oh, today is Monday. And I'm feeling in the green confused or something like that. And you see his little eyes. He he'll, he reads the comics and he'll go like, they go over <laughs> to the chart so he can track it, but he doesn't want me to see it. Right. Um, and so I really, I'm curious how you got involved with the kids work and the working through kind of the family line. Um, the four emotion families is actually uh, me reclaiming a joke. A lot of times people will send me articles about emotions because they want to see me get angry. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm angry now. <laughs> but um, this one said there's only four real emotions, anger, sadness, fear, and happiness. And I was like, oh, is this facial expression of, is, is Paul Ekman here? And it was. Um, so facial expression of emotion turns out to be a very poor way to read emotion. Um, mm-hmm. Just think of people, yes. I'm going to show you, people who do this when they're thinking and you think they're angry and they're yes. not, you're reading them completely wrong. People read me wrong all the time. Or how about a smile like this? Oh, I love it. Right. It's a good smile, but I am not happy right now. I even said, I love it. Right. So facial expression of emotion is a very poor way to understand emotion. You need context, you need body, you need all sorts of things. But if you look at just facial expression of emotion, you might actually say there's only four human emotions because it's Mm -hmm. the only ones that people could like, you know, like everyone would know that's anger or a bowel movement. There's two options, So I thought, well, that's just ridiculous. But then I went to, I went, (gasps) and I went to the language of emotions and I opened it up and I had put the emotions in those four Mm -hmm. without even knowing I was doing it. I put those emotions in those four families. Mm -hmm. So I thought we're doing them in families now. This Mm -hmm. is great because it is very easy to tell for your own self if you're feeling an anger, a fear, a sadness, or a happiness. It just mm-hmm. clarifies the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I put them in colors that were not, um, uh, like fear is not 
acid green with lightning bolts. Right. Anger is not red with red. fire. Right, right. Right. Angers, the right. angers are purple. The right. fears right. are green, but it's a very nice green. Yeah. You know, happinesses are pink because really, and the right. sadnesses are blue. Yeah. Um, but that way people can kind of, especially if all their, if their entire emotional vocabularies find stressed and upset, they can actually start looking at these four and then dial in a little bit closer and see in the anger family is also apathy and shame mm -hmm. and hatred in the fear family, you know, is this, this, this. So I found it was really helpful. And I, I, um, I rescued some really bad research and used it for my own, <laughs> for my own ends. Um, and then working with kids for me was natural because that's where you need to start. I mean, I wish that I had had any emotional training when I was little, like even a little bit, just vocabulary words, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're making a kids, I've written a kid's book um, and publishers can't see it. Like they can't, they can't identify it as a book because it's kind mm -hmm. of um, a reference guide for kids mm -hmm. to go back to. Just like I'm feeling anger. What did that book say? And mm -hmm. they don't want it to be that way. So I did work to publish it myself, but that didn't work. So this year we are making a set of cards for kids. Okay. Oh, that's and great. They'll have, so they can, yep. you know, we're seeing classrooms and things like that. Yeah yeah. 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 And so just emotion identification, vocabulary, yeah. and maybe things they could do like, you're, you know, this happens, what emotions do you want to use for this situation? Mm -hmm. And then they, maybe they could play a game with it. Mm -hmm. we're, we're feeling it out. Yeah. What are the other things that really piss you off that are in those articles that come out? Anything that takes an emotion out in the backyard and kicks its ass. Mm. Like any, um, any articles are like, jealousy is a primitive emotion that we don't need anymore. And I'm like, what are you even thinking? You don't even know what you're talking about at this point. <laughs> or people who, who take a, a bat to shame. Shame is one of the most beautiful emotions there is. And people have been taught to distrust it and hate it. Mm -hmm. and you know sort of hide in guilt and I'm like uh, you don't even understand emotions you don't even understand what you're talking about mm -hmm. um what mm -hmm. else oh people who want the happiness-based emotions to do all mm -hmm. the work of the psyche oh like it's very uncomfortable positive. yeah the positive psychology I mean it's great that they are focusing on emotions psychology yeah. is yeah. so bizarre psychology has a terrible relationship with emotions yes and yes. they're where we go yes. to deal with emotions. I know it's very, it's odd. very troubling. It's yeah. very troubling. And just like you said, like positive psychology was born in response to the contrast culture of studying only negative things, only studying depression and anxiety and suicide. So yeah. then positive psychology, I understand we needed to start having, talking about grit and flow and, you know, all the things that have come out of that movement. And yet it still feels like we're missing that middle conversation <laughs> yeah and it's so sad because uh, the way that we talk about suicide and depression and anxiety is entirely negative when i wrote my book on anxiety uh, embracing anxiety mm -hmm. i talked to everybody is like tell me what anxiety is mm -hmm. and they were all describing panic mm -hmm. i was like no tell me what anxiety is and they had no idea mm -hmm. what anxiety was as an individual unique mm -hmm. emotion that was 
related a bit to panic. They're both in the fear family, but they are not each other. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are misnaming emotions because psychologists don't know what the emotions are. Mm -hmm. um, or thinking that depression and suicidality are always, you know, um, let's put you on a three-day hold emergencies. Mm -hmm. When in fact, it may be the soul having something extremely pertinent to say, if you had any container whatsoever for understanding these emotions. And by, by putting them in the medical model of pathology, we have separated people from some of the most important emotions they have, including panic. Panic is just a brilliant uh, life-saving emotion. To turn it into a pathology separates us from crucial aspects of our own intelligence. Yeah. So many questions flying. I'm just trying to land, like, <laughs> breathe. Just breathe. How do you, um, any thoughts or, um, like anything you want to say about kind of Brene Brown's work <laughs> on shame, like the love it or hate it, the last, this, the book that just came out, someone gifted to me and it's, it's emotion. It's a, it looks like an updated, there's lots of updated versions of things I've read in your book. And I was like, this is such a great book. I don't like it. It just reminds me of what I read here. So like any thoughts or comments on that? It's okay. If not, I was just curious since it's, it's difficult. It's difficult because she's like a, um, you know, she's got Oprah money behind her and she has for a long time. So she's a juggernaut, right? Yeah. And her voice is drowning out a lot of voices, mm -hmm. uh, including mine. And people do come to me and they say, Brene Brown says this. And I'm like, uh, do you remember the Buddy Holly story? Um, and he went into to uh, record something. They said, well, Elvis used this, you mm. know, guitar and Elvis used this and Elvis used that. <laughs> yes. And yes. he said, yes. Elvis is great. Yes. I am Buddy Holly. Yes. You know I mean? yes. <laughs> Elvis I is great. That. Um, but yeah. um, I understand the mistake she made because if you don't understand shame, mm -hmm. you are going to see it as a toxic emotion. If you don't understand the basis of what shame does, you're going to see it as a toxic emotion. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she does not understand shame. Mm. Um, and so her entire premise is flawed, mm. but I totally understand the flaw, mm. right? So I'm not going to throw her in the trash garbage. Like she's yeah. not going in the shadow, Yeah. but what shame does, and it's uh, just this beautiful um, uh, ethical, moral emotion is it holds us to the values and agreements and ethics that we agreed to. Mm. If our values and morals and ethics are disgusting, shame will appear to be disgusting. Like if, if one of my values is no one can love me until I'm perfect and some poor soul comes to love me, my shame is going to go on a bender. It is going to come at me like a ton of bricks and you would think shame is the worst emotion that I've ever seen in my life right shame needs to go but what is happening is the shame is responding to a message or an agreement that I made at some point in my life probably from media probably from some goofy person in my family who didn't know how life worked right and so my experience is I need to get rid of shame 
but we all have agreements that we've made in our lives that are just very nice. Like I like to floss mm-hmm. every night. And so you floss every night and your shame goes, you're kind of rocking it, sweetie. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that is a livable agreement that I made that mm-hmm. I can live up to. It is not an abusive agreement. So shame mm-hmm. is being blamed for the agreement. And so we use something called burning contracts to move out of those agreements. And sometimes it takes a while because yeah. your whole, you yeah. know, your whole psyche is based on it, right? But you can move it out and then you and shame can find an agreement that works better. How about I will be loved because I'm lovable? How's that, shame? Mm-hmm. And shame goes, I still got this old stuff. I'm like, I know you do. I know you do. We're gonna work on it. But I will be loved because I'm lovable. Can you work with that? And shame goes, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I think a lot of people think that there's a difference between shame and guilt. And I moved guilt out of the book like immediately because I kept looking at different um, dictionaries and they would have shame and guilt with the opposite. I was like, there's some confusion here. I'm getting guilt out of here. I'm like focusing yeah. on shame. But yeah. some people think that guilt is something you feel for something you have done and therefore can change. Like it's a right. lighter form of yeah. shame. Yeah. And shame is something you feel for something you have become, something yeah. that you are, which you can never, ever, ever change. And I was like, what bullshit? Mm. That is such a white middle-class lady idea. I can't even believe it. This is a person who hasn't been in prison. This is a person who hasn't been homeless. Mm-hmm. This is a person who hasn't been with addicts and people who mm-hmm. have become something terrible mm-hmm. and they evolved out of it, mm-hmm. right? the shame about what you are. Oh, hell yeah. It's painful. Mm -hmm. But if you can move into that, that is the work of epic poetry. It is the work of evolution. It is the work of the reclamation of the human soul. That is what you miss. If you throw shame in the garbage and sit over here with this pretend experience of guilt, you, you Mm -hmm. weaken human souls. If you don't let them be with their shame because shame is is one of the emotions that helps us be ethical moral beings and i don't want to weaken people Mm -hmm. yeah it's painful if your shame is working on a thing called if you gain 10 pounds you will be valueless in this world that's a terrible message yeah and if you picked it up and you agreed to it your shame needs to hold you to it it's yeah. my, f- uh, my friend and colleague, Sarah Alexander calls shame, the loyal assistant. Mm. It's only doing what you told it to do. Mm-hmm. And there's no blame in you having picked up terrible, disgusting messages from mm. media or from your family that mm-hmm. you are trying so hard to live like Sisyphus pushing a rock up a hill. Mm-hmm. I'm like, push the rock over the hill and go someplace else like go to a different mountain all right but i mean the kind of yeah come to working with shame is brilliant same with suicide everybody hates suicide it is one of the most powerful beautiful Mm. emotions that there is but again we've pathologized it entirely we've medicalized it entirely Mm -hmm. so people don't have that capacity to have something in their soul coming up and saying the difference between who you are in your soul and who you have become in this world is so extreme that only a death can fix it. 
And the rule in dynamic emotional integration, which is my applied work, is human body's off the table when suicide's up. That's the rule. Your human body is off the table. You will die. You don't have to do anything to make that happen, right? You don't have to go for that. But what needs to die? When you can ask the suicidal urge, what needs to die? What can I no longer tolerate in my soul? It'll come out. This lack of love, this loneliness, this poverty, this inequality, this injustice, right? And it brings the energy you need to kill off that which needs to be killed. And it's not your body. It's not your body. But if we only medicalize and pathologize mm -hmm. suicide, we, everybody just freaks out. And, and the pain that brought you there remains untouched. So that was another area that <laughs> felt super resonant and it didn't have words before I read the suicide section, um, to articulate what had happened to me as a young adult, which is when I had this like pivotal moment and had this inner, had an inner monologue. Um, and like, I just remember the night so clearly and being like, if you're going to do this, you're going to do this. Like, it felt like it was like this, the, like, uh, just a totally different embodiment of, of the human form after that sort of contract was released and a new one was created. Yeah. And yeah. And it was, it's just such a transformative moment, a, a release of like diagnoses that people had given me because I had such high emotional intelligence and nobody knew what to do with me. And so they just kept putting labels on, but no one was yeah. talking about trauma at the time or what was happening at home or food. Um, I was eating a tremendous amount of garbage and it was making me feel like garbage. And <laughs> it was cheap. I mean, if you're poor, you eat cheap food and in my experience. And then I felt like crap, like literally I was eating crap and felt like crap. Like, yeah, we just didn't have the resources to like know more at the time. Right. We didn't do better. And I had this like come to Jesus moment as like a 20 year old and was like, this is not working. Like this whole, like smoking two packs a day, this whole drinking all the time, like all of these things you're doing are not working. So what Wait, are you, you were thinking the smoking two packs a day was going to do something. You were like, this is an idea that <laughs> I think like any other addiction, you're just like, okay, now more, now more. I'm still numb. I'm still hurting. I'm still, I'm still don't belong here. Like how you said yeah. about feeling human. Like yeah. I just could not understand why people weren't talking about real things and why everyone was lying about everything inside when I was seeing things differently. And I just did not feel like I belonged here at all. And it was yeah. the 4th of July because I live in DC and there was a huge, there was fireworks. There were people everywhere celebrating. And I was just on a corner, like weeping, like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I don't feel like these people, I don't know myself anymore. You know, I don't even understand what I'm doing here. And there was just this like kind of cool washing over of like a soul conversation of just a new contract being, yeah. being one going away that night in the fireworks and in the drama of that and a new one being born. And I really literally like been on a mission ever since to just be more authentic and more honest about all the really hard stuff about yeah. those diagnosis, about trauma, about like, come on guys, let's do this. Let's, let's have open conversations. Let's talk about how 
weird and hard it can be to like have a person come out of your vagina and then you're called their mother and like, and then you're feeding them from your boobs. And then you're, and then you, you're still married to this person. Do not touch me. Like just all the real stuff that was happening became this like flood of like awkwardness for people <laughs> you, because of the boundary issue that you named earlier. I have that also. So, yeah. you know, now I'm in my forties and I'm like, okay, I'm learning to like strengthen the boundary stuff that wasn't inherently there. And I don't need to like go in with the fullest amount of intensity and intimacy in order to create <laughs> connection. Right. I'm learning that, <laughs> um, but it's, it's like becoming, um, aging has helped with that process and being able to have hindsight mm-hmm. and your, and being able to be introduced to amazing pieces of work that articulate what happened in your narrative that you are not able necessarily always to see or name. Yeah. Sherry Olander, who's one of our DEI colleagues said, and it was beautiful and I wrote it down someplace, but basically your emotions are the only part of you that remembers what happened. Mm. Like they were the, they were the ones that were awake for all of it, mm-hmm. including for me when I dissociated while I was being molested. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, see ya, <laughs> wouldn't want to be ya. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. my emotions were there mm-hmm. be, being aware of what was going on. And basically, if you can move into the emotions, you can move into all of the healing that needs to happen, right? Because the emotions know what's happening. They know what's going on. You can trust them implicitly. Mm -hmm. And that is such a different message Mm -hmm. than what we get, which is you're feeling emotional. (laughs) There's a pill for that. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. Settle down. Have a drink. I have to say, yeah, have a drink. (laughs) And I have to say that I had really, really severe, uh, uh, severe depression and suicidality. And it got to a place in my 40s, I think, when I was also going through hormonal stuff where it got out of control. And I did go on to um, uh, an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. It was a really good one. And it saved my life. Yeah. So, so yeah. Let's, let's say that sometimes you and your emotions are needed. Yes. Yeah, help if your anxiety is like, like yeah. wild in the streets, and your panic is wild in the streets. You're gonna need some settling, so you can get in. Right? Sometimes your emotions are like whoa, and they were. So yeah, um, I appreciate that. But it was important. Yeah, it was important. It was funny. I was really scared of going on antidepressants because I, I bet. Been raised my I whole bet. life, right? Yeah, As, I bet. Yep. Um, yeah. I thought it would change who I was, and this, this medication just evened out my emotions. And I, I sing a lot. You could still feel them. It didn't flatline you. It didn't. No, it didn't. I wasn't flatline. I still feel that I sing a lot and I love to have songs that, Mm -hmm. that access every emotion, right? Yes. Um, (laughs) The only song I couldn't sing was round midnight, which I was, it was too pretty. I kept singing around midnight and I was just really pretty with it. And it's about someone going quite insane over a bad love affair. And probably the person brought some of their own <laughs> mental illness into the love affair. But in, in parts of the song, you know, the person's losing their mind. And mm. I'm like, la, la, la. <laughs> I, like, I can't sing around midnight. But I was like, you know what? 
that's okay. <laughs> and now that I'm all, you know, now I can sing around midnight again, but it was just funny to go through yeah. my whole repertoire of songs and see, can I sing this one? Can I do this? Can I, do I have <laughs> access to this? Well, I think that, you know, one thing I heard recently was about like how good we are at onboarding to meds to assist in, in crisis, but how we do a really crap job of offboarding. Oh my gosh. Offboarding was terrible. And that's a helpful reference for me in terms of just talking about that. And when I've had clients or people in our community be like, I'm having so much shame about getting on on medication. I'm like, well, just remember it's easy to onboard and it's hard to offboard. So as long as we kind of go in with that intentionality and we understand how we're set up, we can maybe have that plan in the future if you want to, or whatever. Although some people offboard with no problem. I, yeah. But it's not even usually a conversation is my point. They're like, let's get on. And then 10 years, 20 years later, someone's like, I think I'm ready to get off this medication because I've been taking it for 20 years and I don't actually know who I am with or without it. You know, so there's a lot of that same with all of the IUDs that where you don't bleed and just a lot of the reproductive health stuff is, can be a bit confusing when you're trying to find your emotional regulation. Yeah. Um, because you, you, you've had no access to it for so long. I have to ask you, I'm mindful of time. I've taken up so much of your time. I'm so grateful. I could speak to you for hours. Anything you want to say about guilt? Cause it comes up all the time for people. Guilt is shame. And, um, it is, if, if people want to make that incorrect separation of guilt is for what you did and shame is for what you are. Basically, it is shame about something you did. Mm -hmm. And shame about what you are is shame about something you are. Um, And the work Mm -hmm. with shame is to stop doing whatever it is that you're doing, that your shame is alerting you to. See about making amends, see about fixing it. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling ashamed about things that you haven't actually done, right? Like Mm -hmm. I feel, I Mm -hmm. feel guilty about homelessness. I feel guilty about this. I feel guilty about that. I think people might see that as pathological. And I'm like, you know what? You may be more sociological in your understanding of the world than you are psychological. Mm -hmm. If you feel Mm -hmm. about homelessness, what Mm -hmm. can you do about it? Mm -hmm. Right. Instead of just like keeping it in this, in this sort of disempowered psychological space, open it up. Mm-hmm. and go sociological because your emotions are as sociological as they are psychological. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. We also have a practice called the shame shrine mm-hmm. where, especially if you've got a continual shame message on blah, 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 blah. You're not tall enough. You're not short enough. You're not blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, know that your shame needs your help. And what we do is like we disembody without dissociating from it, mm-hmm. create an altar or mm-hmm a shrine mm-hmm. with a bowl mm. and write down the messages. You're not yeah. tall enough. You're not short enough. Right. Yeah. So you're listening to the shame. You're working with the shame. You're respecting the shame, but you're also telling the shame that goes in the bowl friend. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hold that in my human body anymore. It's too much. And then a lot people will have rituals around it. Like uh, one woman took hers and she's like, this is from Aunt Mary. Mm. This is from Dad. This is from women's magazines. This is right. And she would organize them. She's a very organized person and then throw them away. But it, it's really helpful to watch yeah. what your emotions are doing and where those messages came from. Yeah. It's not always you. It's not usually you. Because yeah. if it was a, 
if it was a shame message that you had agreed to, like I like to floss every night, mm -hmm. it wouldn't come at you unless you forgot to floss. And then at right. 3 a.m. it says, Carla, you did not right. floss. I'm like, dang right. it. Right. And yeah. then you got to get up and you go floss. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I, okay, I'm going to floss tomorrow morning and I'll also use a water pick. How's that? Okay. Yeah, right. okay. back to right. Getting back but, into alignment or coherence, congruence yeah. with your inner uh, agreements, contracts. Yeah. And sometimes it can feel really, right. really overwhelming mm. when you've got yeah. these shaming messages. Mm -hmm. You're like, uh, my whole life is a mess and I apparently don't have any authentic <sighs> messages within my entire soul. I'm like, Yes, but your shame is trying to tell you that. Yes. It's right. not going to shut up. But now we have something to work with. Or like now yeah. we have something to now you know what the problem is. Now we know what the problem is. And it's not yeah. you, like capital Y O U, you know, yeah. as a whole. Yeah. Somebody talked me into getting onto Instagram. And uh -huh. I've really curated because man, Instagram is like a game festival. Like Twitter is all about people who don't have emotion regulation skills, right? <laughs> I don't know what Facebook is exactly, but Instagram is so shamey. It's just yeah. wild. And there's a number of people on there trying to stop that from happening. There's a lot of body shaming, but it's like, look at my body, yeah. you know, and the lighting and stuff like that. I was like, wow, this is toxic. But that's a lot of what young women and men are growing up with now. Oh, I have a 13 year old daughter. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Just keep her off the internet and all magazines. Don't let her anywhere near we your talk TV. About it all the time. Oh my gosh. All the time. I, you know, I share with her the mental health articles on how hard Instagram is for shaming and things like that. And we have conversations about it. And I'll often say to her, like, what should we do with this? You yeah. know? And she's like, we're think we're thinking about it. We're in constant conversation. She'll take a week off of something and then go back. And she's been learning about, it. it's just really interesting. It's like, how do we, this is their culture. This is their life. And so I don't want to do that opposite. Like, yeah. no, you can't have anything. Because Conflict culture. Social. Yeah. Right. And with COVID that is, was her social life. Yes. So I don't know. We're, we're clunky. We're learn as we say in our house, we're flowing and growing, yeah. <laughs> learning and growing together, you know, is like, and, and some of it, I do just not put back on her, but ask her, like, what do we, what would, you know, what do we do with this now that we know this, you know, and a really interesting uh, magazine that's coming out with all kinds of, I follow them is teen Vogue. Oh, they're Teen Vogue kicks some ass about sure. social justice and gender yeah, the justice stuff has been amazing. The gender I was like, stuff. what am I looking at yeah. Teen Vogue? Yeah, I know there's my Vogue like, when I was growing yes, up was just I know, was pointless. Horrible. I mean, just pointless, rich white ladies nonsense. I know. I know it was really not, it was not for me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> just, who are these people? They have no pores. <laughs> they have no pores. Um, Wait, I need, I'm going to leave a little like a uh, teaser for people. Your mm -hmm. section on forgiveness was so powerful and transformative for me. I'm in a period of no contact with my mom mm -hmm. and I've been, I've just been thinking for almost two years about forgiveness and like what that looks like and why can't I get there and what's wrong with me? Like there's shade, you know, all of these things in it yeah. and your section on forgiveness and the space and the healing I've, I've, I haven't seen anything like that before. And so it literally shifted. I was al allowed myself after I read that to just slow down, p 
pull back, like continue to kind of recenter rather than having this external expectation of like, I'm good now because I forgive. Yeah. Yeah. Really? With, um, I like that piece. I did put a post out on my site uh, on, on anger and forgiveness because so many people don't know it. They don't. Yeah. 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 So anger. Thank you. Another crucial emotion, the trash. Yeah. You know, there's no need to be angry. I'm like, yeah, there is if I'm angry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and boundary stuff. We did your whole, we did anger as a whole month in our community, like self study, and we used your chapter. <laughs> we used Healing Rage by Ruth King and you, and like intersected the crossovers and the differences and. Yeah. We're like, all right, let's, let's figure this anger thing out together. You know, it feels more fun to do it in community for sure. And a little bit uh, more integrated. Okay. Name all of your books. I know you have the anxiety. You have a new work one, right? There's the language of emotions, the art of empathy, embracing anxiety, the dynamic emotional integration workbook, and the power of emotions at work. I want that workbook. The DEI workbook, it's 88 pages, has all the emotions. Like language of emotions doesn't have anxiety in it. To my tremendous shame. I was oh, going to say, shame. You, you wish, is there anything? Because this is old. I mean, it's 2010. It's old. It's, it's old. freaking old. It's a class. Um, I got it from thrift books. Like, okay. I got like that's where I was able to get it from. You know? um, I am re, I'm updating it. This I was going to ask you, is there It's coming out in 2023. I'm so glad. Oh, good. And you're going to add, add anything? Anxiety. Yes. Fix my wrongness about a couple of emotions. Um, We've got new, uh, you know, we've just got some new ways to look at emotions. One of the wrongnesses that I did in shame was to talk about authentic versus inauthentic shame or toxic versus healthy shame. And I was like, no, once you have accepted a message that is authentic to you. Mm. that is your message it belongs to you now it's not inauthentic it's not foreign once like your shame isn't like is this authentic or inauthentic it's like no you've agreed to it so this is where we're going with it so I'm just looking at the shame is always healthy it's always doing exactly what it needs to do the message is the thing yeah it just needs to go yeah. When that comes out, um, perhaps when you're, when you're, ha- when you're on your book tour, whether it's, a are Zoom we even going to have tours anymore? We're going to be a Zoom one. Will we you come back and talk about those changes and we'll yeah. get updated copies and, and really highlight those shifts and changes? Yeah, that would be great. That'd be great. Yay. I'm so glad I get to, you're the best retrieve I'm it. So, so grateful for your work. I, you're amazing. Thank work you. Amazing. Thank you so much for everything that you do. What, where can people find you? Carla McLaren.com and empathyacademy.org where you can take courses, take courses in the emotions. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.